Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language of this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very adult content ahead, and you know what? You've been warned. <laughs> Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together, well, we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're going to be exploring yet another witchy story because, as you know, it's Witchtober! And if you don't know, guess what? It's Witchtober! And, well, we cannot do Witchtober without our next story. But it's, well, a surprise. Anyways, as always, we will be playing our drinking game. And, as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight because I'm such a loser. I will leave the choice of your witchy brew up to you. Yes, that rhymed. Don't tell me. So choose your poison accordingly, my darlings. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say voodoo, that's going to be a single shot. And every time I say New Orleans, that's going to be a double shot. Have you guessed who today's show is about yet? No? Really? All righty then. We've got that business end out of the way, and we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. And the story of... Wait for it. Wait for it. The voodoo queen herself, Marie Laveau. That's right, my darlings. Let's jump right on in. Marie Laveau roughly 1794 to 1881, and Marie Laveau Glapion, from 1827 to 1877, were the most famous voodoo queens, that's right, mother and daughter by the same name, and they reigned over New Orleans in the late 19th century. And, even in death, they are believed to haunt the city still. And their lives, well, they have become legend. Marie Laveau, the senior, reputedly was born in New Orleans in 1794, the illegitimate daughter of Charles Laveau and Marguerite Carcantel. A mulatto of mixed black, white, and Indian race, she was from birth a free woman of color. As a young woman, she was tall and statuesque, with curling, flowing black hair, flashing black eyes, reddish skin and what was considered good features and in this case and I apologize meaning more white than negroid and I'm sorry but yeah that's what they called it so please don't send me hate mail because I love everyone on August 4th 1819 
she married Jacques Paris, a quadroon. He was three-fourths white, one-fourth black, and he was a free man of color from Saint-Dominique, which is now Haiti. They lived in a house in the 1900 block of North Rampart Street that had been given to them by Charles Laveau as part of his daughter's dowry. Not long after the marriage, Paris, well, he disappeared, perhaps returning to his homeland. Marie began to call herself the Widow Paris and supported herself by working as a hairdresser to the wealthy white and Creole women of New Orleans. Her clients confided their most intimate secrets to Marie about their husbands, their lovers, their estates, their husbands' mistresses, their business affairs, their fears of insanity, and of anyone discovering a strain of Negro blood in their ancestry. At this time, Marie also was likely involved in voodoo activity, for she took careful note of these confessions and later used them to strengthen her powers as voodoo queen. About five years after Paris's disappearance, his death was reported, but there's no actual certification of burial. So who knows what happened to Paris? Around 1826, Marie became the lover of Louis-Christophe Dumini de Glapion. Yeah, say that five times fast, right? Another quadroon from Saint-Dominique, who lived with her on North Rampart until his death in June of 1855. They never married, but they had 15 children, so they must have been doing something. After establishing her relationship with Dumini de Glapion, Marie gave up hairdressing and began to devote all of her energy to becoming the supreme voodoo queen of New Orleans. The voodoo practiced by black African slaves was a mixture of African and Caribbean rites. The rites were held in secret deep in the bayous. Stories circulated that they involved worship of a snake called zombie, orgiastic dancing, which I can get into, drinking, and lovemaking. I'm loving voodoo more and more. Nearly a third of the worshippers were whites who sought magical power for their own ends. So don't get misled here. By the early 1830s, there were many voodoo queens in New Orleans fighting over control of the Sunday Congo dances and the secret ceremonies out of Lake Pontchartrain. Marie handily bested them all, some said by powerful magic. A devout Catholic, she added elements of Catholic worship such as holy water, incense, statues of the saints, and Christian prayers to the already sensational voodoo ceremonies. She turned the rites at Lake Pontchartrain into large spectacles. The police, the press, Young New Orleans Rose, and any other thrill-seekers interested in forbidden fun were invited to attend, provided they paid an admission fee, of course. Marie added to the carnival atmosphere with such acts as praying over a black coffin and sacrificing roosters. I've sacrificed a cock in my time or two. Oops, sorry about that. Meanwhile, other more secret orgies were organized for wealthy white men looking for beautiful black mulatto and quadroon mistresses. 
Marie then gained control of the dances at Congo Square, entering the gated area before any of the other dancers and performing with her 20-foot snake for the fascinated onlookers. Okay, the snake is where they lost me, because you know Nicole don't do no snakes. Yikes with the creepy collies. Okay. Eventually, the information learned from her former hairdressing clients, her considerable knowledge of spells, and her own style and flair made Marie the most powerful woman in the city, sought by both whites and blacks for magical concoctions and advice. She charged whites high fees, but few blacks paid for her services. And stories about Marie abound. Most of the tales are no doubt exaggerations, but these are some of the best. Well, at least in my humble opinion. So we're going to talk about some stories, my loves. Get ready. Settle in. Fill up your drink. I can wait. Come on. Hurry up. Okay. Around 1830, the son of a very prominent and aristocratic New Orleans family apparently raped a young girl of lower but respectable class. Evidence against the young man was strong, Out of desperation, either the father or the son, because both are credited in the story, went to Marie Laveau to enlist her help in an acquittal. The the father promised Marie a new house if she could succeed. At dawn of the morning of the trial, Marie went to pray at St. Louis Cathedral. Remaining at the altar rail for several hours with three guinea peppers in her mouth, Then she sneaked into the cabildo, the old seat of French-Spanish justice, and placed the peppers under the judge's chair. On his doorstep, Marie placed a gris-gris, a charm bag, of powdered brick, and she pinned a note on the front door declaring the young man's innocence. She even brazenly signed the note, believing in her own power and prestige. The jury reportedly was made up of other young aristocratic Creole playboys, many of whom had committed, well, similar crimes, but had not yet been punished. The prosecuting attorney pleaded passionately for conviction, appealing to the jury's biblical sense of right and wrong. Marie watched silently from the gallery, finally flipping a piece of paper containing one of her hairs onto the prosecutor's shoulder. The verdict not guilty. In gratitude, the father kept his promise and gave Marie a new house on St. Anne Street in the French Quarter near Congo Square. Marie and her family, including Galapion, lived there until she died in 1881, and it pleased Marie to claim that the cottage was one of the oldest in New Orleans, part of the Laveau family for seven generations. The house became voodoo headquarters, and the small outbuildings probably housed, um, well, you know, hookups between other white men and their black lovers. The freed young man began attending church to give his thanks for his good fortune, and finally repudiated his wild friends in remorse for his sins. He determined to marry the woman he had wronged, but she refused. Again, the young man appealed to Marie Laveau, who promised him that the girl would marry him within one month. Marie made the man a gris-gris bag containing love powder, or talcum, feathers, pulverized lizard eggs, and donkey hair, which he had to wear around his waist. Because, you know, there has to be a jackass in there somewhere, right? Then she took hair from various parts of the young man's body and spread them on the lady's doorstep. The lady continued to spurn the young man, but, unfortunately, she met him coming into church as she was leaving. 
She turned to run, fell and sprained her ankle. He tenderly picked her up, begging her to let him get a doctor and take her home. Impressed with his solicitude, she yielded and he kissed her. The next day, she married him, albeit limping down the aisle. I like that story, don't you? All right. Another affair of the heart concerned a wealthy old bachelor who was madly in love with the daughter of another Creole gentleman. The girl was young enough to be the man's granddaughter and had rejected his advances. But her father, suffering from financial reversal, tried to convince his daughter of the benefits of the match, and when she refused, he locked her up in a cabin near the lake. Every night, the old man, attended by the girl's father, came to the cabin and tried to woo her, but still she refused. Her father cajoled, threatened, and even beat her, but she held fast, swearing to die first. She had already given her heart to a dashing young adventurer who was expected to return home from the West Indies any day with his newfound fortune. Having no other alternatives, the father and the old suitor turned to Marie Laveau, who promised that the wedding would take place. She gave love powders to the father to put in the girl's food and made the old man a gree-gree containing the dried testicles of a black cat. He was to wear the bag near his own genitals to cure his impotency and bring back virility. Finally, Marie advised patience, telling the men to refrain from begging for the girl's hand for two weeks. At the end of a fortnight, the girl, very pale and weak, agreed to marry the old man. Both men were overjoyed, and plans commenced for the wedding to take place at once. Two weeks later, all of New Orleans society crowded St. Louis Cathedral for the ceremony, gossiping about the lovely young bride taking the hand of an old man with bent knees and a toupee. Everyone was invited to a huge reception that night at the groom's mansion, replete with champagne and rare delicacies. As the party became livelier, the celebrants demanded that the bride and groom lead the first dance. Flush with his conquest, he led his wife out into the ballroom and began to waltz. For a moment, he was young again. Then he stopped, face turning purple, and crumpled to the floor. The bride shrieked, a doctor rushed to help, but it was just too late. The new bride inherited all the old man's fortune, enabling her to call her lover home from the West Indies. After a year of conventional mourning, they married and reportedly lived happily ever after. Questioned about her role in the affair, Marie Laveau would reply that she had promised only that the wedding would take place. I like the way she thinks. I'm loving her more and more. Although love provided more business for Marie Laveau than anything else, she was also known for her work with convicted prisoners. Marie had always performed acts of Christian charity, helping Pierre or Father Antoine, New Orleans' much-beloved priest who had married her and Jacques Paris with yellow fever victims. By the 1850s, her influence with local authorities allowed her to enter and exit the prison with impunity, taking food and solace to the men in their cells. She donated an altar to the prison chapel and decorated it with her own hands. None of these visits exhibited any outward signs of voodoo, only devout Catholicism. In 1852, 
Jean Adam and Anthony Deslal were convicted to hang for the murder of a young mulatto servant girl named Mary in the employ of a Madame Chevillon, while stealing a large sum of money from Madame's home. Marie Laveau visited the condemned men every day while they awaited execution, taking them food, talking, and praying with them. The morning of the hanging, she took them a pot of gumbo and stayed until the very last minute. Then she joined the enormous crowd outside waiting to watch the execution, because at that time all executions in New Orleans, well, were public. I think we should get back to that. I think people would be more, more mindful of what they do if we did. Anyways, I'm just pissed off because I had a hard day coming home, and people were not getting out of my way. Because, yes, I was singing ludicrous. Move, bitch, get out the way. Okay, sorry, I digress. Let's go back to the story. When the men were brought out, they were highly intoxicated, although Marie had not given them any obvious drinks. Deslal shouted at the spectators, hundreds of people, with their children enjoying the clear, sunny day and the upcoming show, that he was innocent and begged that the people attend his funeral and see that he had a decent burial and a long funeral procession. Then he claimed he was a Frenchman, willing to die only for France, and not at the hands of barbarous American justice. Delal raised his arms, stared at the gathering clouds above the gallows, screamed, and fainted. By now, the clear, sunny sky had filled with heavy black clouds. Wind roared through the trees, children cried, and one woman reportedly shouted, It's just like the crucifixion. But the execution proceeded as planned. Arms bound, the men were placed in chairs on the platform, their heads covered with black hoods, and the ropes placed around their necks. Just as the executioner released the trap doors at the sheriff's, sheriff's signal, rain began falling in torrents and lightning filled the sky. The crowd gasped in horror as people realized the men lay on the ground, bleeding but not dead, the ropes frayed and broken. Deslals crawled on his hands and knees, sobbing, and Adam, well, he was unconscious. The mob surged forward, and the police had to use their clubs to force them back. Prison officials carried Delal and Adam back into the jail, then hauled them out ten minutes later and tried again, this time successfully. The sky cleared as a tall woman, recognized in whispers as Marie Laveau, left the throng. Newspaper accounts describe the execution as a painful spectacle. The seldomer such exhibitions are public, the better. Everyone who was there and anyone who heard the story believed Marie Laveau had caused the storm and almost saved the lives of the murderers. The whole affair caused such an uproar that the Louisiana State Legislature outlawed public executions in the state forever. All right. In 1869, Marie was past 70 years of age, and her followers decided that she should retire. She did not completely retreat from active service until 1875, when she entered her St. Anne home, her St. Anne Street home for the last time. She did not leave until her death in 1881. Her role as voodoo queen was assumed by one of her daughters, also named Marie Laveau, who bore a striking resemblance to her mother, save for a little bit lighter skin. 
Marie Laveau Glapion was born on February 2, 1827, and it's not known whether Marie the Senior appointed her daughter to follow her, or Marie the Junior chose the role herself. But Marie the Junior apparently lacked the warm compassion of her mother and inspired more fear and subservience. Like her mother, she started out as a hairdresser, but then graduated to running a bar and brothel on Bourbon Street between Toulouse and St. Peter Streets. Marie the Junior continued assignations as Maison Blanche, the house her mother had built for secret voodoo meetings, and liaisons between white men and black women. The police looked the other way because, well, they were afraid of crossing her and ending up, well, hoodooed or bewitched. One of the most important events in the New Orleans voodoo calendar was June 23rd, St. John's Eve, the observance of the summer solstice. The event was celebrated by voodoo rites at Bayou St. Jean on Lake Pontchartrain. Originally, the rites were religious, but Marie, the senior, had turned them well into a circus. And by the time Marie, the junior, most St. John's Eve's rites were led by underling voodoo queens, but Marie the Junior presided more than once. According to one newspaper account of St. John's Eve's in 1872, the crowd sang to Marie the Junior, then built a large fire to heat a cauldron. The cauldron was filled with water from a beer barrel, salt, black pepper, a black snake cut in three pieces representing the Trinity, a cat, a black rooster, and various powders. Marie ordered everyone to undress, which they did, while singing a repetitive chorus. At midnight, they jumped into the lake for about half an hour to cool off, then came out and sang and danced for another hour. Marie then preached a sermon, then gave the celebrants permission for a half hour's recreation, or sex. Hmm, only half an hour for that. Hmm, well, I guess a half an hour would be okay. Afterwards... Everyone ate and sang some more until the signal was given to extinguish the fire under the cauldron. Four nude women threw water on the fire, then the contents of the kettle were poured back into the barrel. Marie told everyone to dress again, she preached another sermon, and by then it was daybreak and everyone went home. Marie lived out the rest of her days quietly. She was seen around town attending daily mass and social gatherings, but in her later years she did not do so much dramatic grandstanding as she had in her earlier years, possibly because by then her reputation had been firmly established and she had made for herself a comfortable life and no longer needed to impress anyone. One peculiar mystery surrounding Marie Laveau was her youthful appearance well into old age. You know, I'm going to say it, black don't crack people. Many attributed this to the belief that the voodoo spirits had blessed her with a youthful appearance and an unnaturally long life, but more than likely it was due to good genetic makeup. Hell, my mom, she's, I'm not going to say, but she's in her 60s, and you would swear she was 40s. Also, it's known that Laveau had a daughter with Christophe Glapion, that was also de Marie, the that also bore a striking resemblance to her mother, and that after her death she took over the practice, which would account for those sightings of Marie Laveau well into the 20th century. They were really seeing her daughter, not her. And it's believed that Marie Laveau the senior died at her home on Rue Saint-Anne in 1881, and that the daughter died of a heart attack at a Mardi Gras ball in 1897. 
Now, these details are recorded in Robert Tallent's book based on eyewitness testimony of contemporaries of both Marie's. Both women are believed to be buried in an above-ground crypt in St. Louis Cemetery, which has become a shrine where devotees pay tribute to the great legendary voodoo queen. And there have been several ghostly phenomena associated with Marie's tomb. Each year, countless vagrants who call the cemetery home claim to see her ghost dancing from tomb to tomb. And on one occasion, a patron of the local drugstore claimed that Marie materialized in front of him and asked if he knew who she, who she was. When he responded in the negative, she slapped him in the face and levitated out of the drugstore and over the fence toward her grave. I'm just going to say I love her more and more. I don't know about you, but I do. Many claim that Marie watches over the city in the form of a big black crow. A popular superstition involves marking her grave with three X's in red chalk, making a wish, or asking her to bless a Grigri. In any case, voodoo practitioners know that Marie lives on in spirit form, and that their beloved queen, who held her own as a francophone, creole, catholic, and voodoo woman, in a world dominated by white Anglo males, can hear and bless them from the spirit world. Her obituaries described her as a saintly woman who had nursed the sick and prayed incessantly with the diseased and the condemned and said her alleged beauty had attracted the attention of Governor Claiborne, French General Humbert, Aaron Burr, and even the Marquis de Lafayette. The obituaries further claimed she had lived her life in piety, surrounded by her Catholic religion, but made no mention of her voodoo activities. Even one of her surviving children, Madame Legend, claimed her saintly mother had never practiced voodoo and in fact had despised the cult. The faithful, however, know better. With her mother's, with her mother's passing, Marie the Junior faded into obscurity. She had been so closely identified with her mother that she apparently had little persona of her own. She continued to reign over the voodoo ceremonies among the blacks and ran the Maison Blanche, but she never regained media attention. According to legend, she drowned in a big storm in Lake Pontchartrain during the 1890s. Some people, however, claim to have seen her as late as 1918. Now, Marie the First, or the Senior, is reportedly buried in the family crypt at St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. The cemetery is quite small, but the tomb seems to appear out of nowhere when walking among the crypts. The vault does not bear her name. According to the inscription, it belongs to Marie Philomé Glapion, deceased June 11, 1897. Nonetheless, the tomb still attracts the faithful and the curious. Petitioners leave offerings of food, money, and flowers, and then ask for Marie's help after turning around three times and marking a cross with red brick in the stone. One popular legend holds that Marie the Senior never died, but changed herself into a huge black crow which flies over the cemetery. The crow's head feathers supposedly stick up in tufts, after the fashion in which Marie wore a tignon, or kerchief, over her own hair, tied in seven knots with the points sticking up. Marie II, or her, son, her daughter, is believed to be buried in St. Louis Cemetery No. 2, where another crypt marked Marie Laveau bears red brick crosses and serves as the wishing vault for young women seeking husbands. Other stories place Marie in cemeteries on Giraud Street, Louisa Street, and Holt Streets as well. 
Both Maries, however, are said to haunt New Orleans in various human and animal forms. In addition to being seen as a crow, one or the other has been seen as an old woman in a long white dress and blue tignon, as a snake, and as a Newfoundland dog. The apparitions have been sighted floating up and down St. Anne Street, and on St. John's Eve, when Marie I slipped off to St. John's Bayou on Lake Pontchartrain for secret voodoo rites, residents of the bayou hear an ethereal singing and see a shadowy figure who looks like a woman clinging to a floating log. Regardless of whether Marie Laveau possessed mystifying supernatural powers, or if her influence was due to bribery and espionage, the fact remains that she was a woman who lived on her own terms and refused to conform to the cookie-cutter image that society had prescribed for her, and thereby made her own destiny. It is no wonder that Marie Laveau lives on as the ever-reigning queen on New Orleans voodoo, since voodoo itself is a religion of survival and self-determination. And with that, my darlings, we have come to the end of our episode. I know, I know, I love you, and I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you want to drop me a line, you just want to say hi, I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. Love you. Mwah! sugarcoat shit <laughs> this is renegade talk radio renegade talk radio